This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Hey, Village Church. Welcome back to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Tim and Pastor Michael with you. Listeners, thanks for joining us today. We have a great question. Here it is, Michael. Are the Old Testament stories allegory or true historical events? Let's talk that through. Well, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> so let's start off and uh, define uh, allegory, Tim. What would be like a maybe just a base definition of what allegory is? Well, it's a story which has characters, talks about an event or you know some kind of thing that's going on, but it, the story itself is representing something else. So, so it's the, not true. The story is not really true. There's usually figures of speech and uh, literary devices used in that allegory that tip you off to indicate, hey, this is not a real event. It's not a real historical event. Yep. So like Pilgrim's Progress would be an example of an allegory. Excellent example. Yeah. So it's like a story, things are going on, but the characters represent something bigger and deeper and and et cetera. And so when when people um, look at the Bible, um, a couple things they have a hard time with. For example, a flood, a worldwide flood. Mm. Is this an allegory? You get the issue of Adam and Eve, the first, you know, two people. Is this? Um, did the biblical authors intend um, to communicate literal, like literal, like literal history or literary history? There, <laughs> you, there you go. Yep. Um, is this allegorical history? They represent, you know, the formation of humankind or whatever. And um, and then you get to issues of um, the Tower of Babel. I mean, you just keep going, you right. know, and like what is true and what is allegory and what did the biblical authors intend and what – and so there's some deeper questions we have to sure. go through here. Number one is what did the biblical authors intend? What, what was the original intent by the author? And number two is um, what did the the – listeners understand it to be. Number three is, as we go, particularly from the Old Testament, thousands of years down the line now to Jesus, how did Jesus understand them to be? Because for a Christian, um, I want to read the Old Testament like Jesus read the Old Mm -hmm. Testament because I follow him. And how did he understand Adam and Eve and the flood and all this kind of stuff? And so um, those are some basic questions to, you know, to get our head around. And I I just want to put this on the front end. So, you know, you may be listening and you may struggle with whether or not you can trust the Old Testament stories right. of the Bible, um, this podcast is not going to change your mind. Okay, um, this—that's a big question. It's a deeper question, um, and that would be maybe something to do one-on-one with a really smart Christian mm-hmm. who can maybe answer some of your really, really difficult questions about that. But here's what I want to assume: I want to assume um, that our listeners uh, share the following conviction: the Bible is true. And they want to understand the Old Testament the way Jesus understood it. And that's got to be the foundation. It's got to be the foundation. So um, a couple things that we, I think we just know that we know. Um, The authors in no way believed these were allegories. Um, There is no hint of allegory. It's written as history. Um, Genesis 1 is written as poetic history, but poetry does not equal allegory all the time. You know, so um, the way the authors write, there is um, a clear understanding that their intention is that these were actual figures in history. So Adam and Eve um, and Satan and Cain and Abel and um, the the story of the individual humans that starts in Genesis 2 and then Mm -hmm. carries on, obviously, through the entire book of Genesis and the Old Testament, um, there is no distinction between Adam and Eve and Abraham and Moses. They're right. all real They're, they're all treated figures. as human beings. Yes, absolutely. And so first thing we have to understand is that there's no evidence that the biblical authors thought they were writing al- allegory. 
they thought, particularly Moses, who's penning um, the um, book of Genesis, um, believes he is writing his history. That's what he believes. Um, number two is that Jesus references Adam and Eve and the flood and historical figures. As historical events and they historical are, people. Totally. They're, they are 100% real in his brain. There is no hint anywhere of allegory at all. Um Number number three, um, when you look past Jesus and there's any reference to the flood or to, um, uh, we'll say, Old Testament biblical uh, events or characters, the New Testament authors have no categories of allegory. That's just not in their brain. Now, they do have analogies. So as it was here, here is an analogy for this. Um, and uh, so like it was with the flood, so it is like here, you know, three days um, et cetera, that Jonah went into the whale, Jesus went into the uh, tomb for three... Yes. There are analogies, mm-hmm. yes. which is fundamentally rhetorically different than allegory. Right. And um, so, you know, the short answer is the reason people struggle is because it's hard for them to believe that God would supernaturally intervene into human history and human affairs this directly um, because he doesn't do that now. And uh, the the struggle is, well, if he doesn't do that now, then he must have never done it in the past. And this is one of the big challenges with reading um, the Old and New Testament. God intervened and did miracles. Now, what I would tell people is that the amount of recorded history in Scripture where, where God is actually doing miraculous things is incredibly minimal. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not like all throughout the first, you know, 4,000 years of the Old Testament that everywhere you go, God is doing crazy things like parting the Red Sea and whatnot. I mean, you get 400 years um, where the uh, Israelites are in Egypt and God is nowhere. You have 400 years before Jesus and the prophets are silent, let alone miracles. Um, and this is just a very common thing. There are these huge moments where God intervenes directly into human history. Right. Um, but what's hard is that if you were to just read the Bible from Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament, um, you're going to see a lot of God interventions because those are some of the stories that they're highlighting and pulling out. Right. And those events that God is intervening in are, are normal experiences of life yep they're yeah. not su- supernatural or strange events like for example in, mm-hmm. in pilgrim's progress yep. number one pilgrim the main character isn't given a real name he's mm. called pilgrim but then he does things like that are weird that are strange <laughs> that you know he's crossing a river you know and halfway through something happens you know when we read the biblical account the people are given names yep and then they are doing things that human beings do naturally, and that's one of the huge things to understand is that um, is that when you when you look at the Old Testament, everybody has a name, a birth date, a day they died. Yeah. They did real human things, and um, and yes, the struggle with um, people believing in the miracles of the Old Testament that that makes them want to allegorize it because it just it's, it's too hard to believe, you know. Um, and one of the things that we have to come to grips with um, as we'll just say theists, let alone Christians, is that God does not always intervene in these ways. Sometimes he does, and when he does, it's rare. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of human history is is God not directly, miraculously intervening. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, and so when we look back at Adam and Eve, um, that was an epic in history that was very different. We look at Cain and Abel. We look at Abraham. We look at Moses. And the majority of their lives were normal, just like ours. But then every once in a while, God would drop in and do something crazy. And yep. um, 
but uh, yeah, I think that's why most people struggle. That's why most people have a hard time looking at it and saying, was this really true? And then there's a whole nother level of, of confusion, which is, was the flood worldwide? Okay. And you have modern science that um, I believe, despite whatever facts may, may come out in science, um, cannot, um, they cannot, they can't allow it. Way. Yeah, well, well, well yeah. they can't allow it because if they allow it, then the 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 Noah's flood yep. is real, and that's going to be a problem for those who don't believe the Bible. Yep. But what they can't explain away is how is it that every ancient culture has a flood story yep. in it? Everybody. And how is it it's that crazy. we have sea creatures and fossils of sea animals in Colorado? Yep. I mean. In the middle of the United States, <laughs> there there were sea creatures yep. at some point. And, and so let's get big picture here. Um, the Bible, the Old Testament is not allegory. It's not the way it was intended to be written. It was not the way it was understood by its audience. It's not the way it was understood by Jesus. It's not the way it was understood by the New Testament authors. It's not the way it was understood by the early church. Right. Um, and the struggle is the struggle with the miraculous. That's mm-hmm. why it is hard for people to really believe um, in the actual stories because they feel hard to believe. But we have to remember in summary, that those miracles were not the norm. They were the exception. Um, and God can, whenever he wants, intervene into human history. Correct. And just because God has stopped doing those huge, big, massive public interventions um, does not mean that he is gone or doesn't exist or that he didn't do them in the past. I treat uh, my kids differently when they're children than when they're adults. And mm-hmm. God is free to adjust how he relates to humanity um, all he wants. And so one objection that somebody could, you know, take with this is Galatians 4.24. Oh, yeah. That's... And um, I'll, I'll read it. And then, Tim, I'd love for you just to sure. explain it. Uh, he's telling a story about um, Abraham. He had uh, two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. And he's uh, addressing it as historical fact. But then he writes this in uh, Galatians 4.24. He says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. And then what he does is he makes a comparison. So he tells the historical event, and then he says, quote, this may be interpreted allegorically. So did Moses intend when he wrote the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar for that to be allegory? Absolutely not. When Moses wrote about Hagar and Sarah and their two boys, he he was explaining an historical event and a family problem that was happening. What Paul is using in this Galatians 4, he's using that real-life historical event to explain the problem between law and grace. In that whole context there in Galatians 4, Paul is making an argument to the Galatians, hey, there is a huge difference between grace and law, just as there was a huge difference between Hagar's son and Sarah's son. And so he's using that to explain a greater truth. Jesus did the same thing when he said to the disciples and to the Pharisees, just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the the tomb three days or in the ground three days and three nights. So historical event has a real rooted history, but also can be used as a metaphor, analogy, or allegory for a greater biblical or life principle. Right. And, yep. and just because it's used to explain a greater spiritual truth doesn't negate the actual historical event and the historical people. Amen. All righty. So listeners, I hope that helps. And uh, tomorrow we are going to ask, um, I, honestly, an equally difficult but very different kind of question. And the question goes like this. Can I attend 
one church and yet serve at another church? Mm. The person asking this question actually was under a discipline process from their church for doing this. So was the church appropriate in disciplining her? Is she free to attend one church, serve another church? You ready for this one? Ready for it. All right, we'll do it. We'll see you tomorrow. Join us next time.